Judas. His very name is a byword for betrayal or evil. I mean, to betray a friend is a horrible thing, but to betray the Lord of life? Down through the centuries, Judas has been maligned and condemned. You know, all the other disciples are called saints, but not Judas. You're not going to find a uh, St. Judas church. And, you know, you're not going to find too many parents, for that matter, who are going to name their son Judas. Boy, wouldn't that be a sad thing? Interestingly enough, there has been uh, an effort to rehabilitate the reputation of Judas. In, 19, in Actually, it was 2006, the National Geographic Society published the Gospel of Judas. Remember that? They were making a big deal of it in the, in the media. Uh, and uh, basically, it's a translation of a recently surfaced ancient Coptic manuscript that dates to around 280 A.D., and this gospel, uh, it's actually a series of conversations between Judas and Jesus, but the gospel portrays Judas not as a villain, but as the hero of the story. Alone among the 12 disciples, Judas truly understands who Jesus is, where he's come from, and where he's going. And so, he cooperates with Jesus to carry out his plan of salvation. So, Judas and Jesus are in cahoots with each other, and uh, Judas is doing Jesus a favor by betraying him so that then Jesus could die for the sins of the world. Well, as it turns out, almost all serious scholars deny the historical credibility of this, uh, what's called a Gnostic gospel. And they believe that we learn nothing about the actual historical Judas. Uh, so, the gospel of Judas is one of several gospels produced by a group. They were kind of an eccentric um, spin-off, uh, heretical group, a spin-off of early Christianity called Gnosticism. I don't want to go into that now. But they're into mysticism and kind of far-out theology. And uh, so, they produced gospels between the second and the fourth century. And so, the gospel of Judas joins other imaginative, fanciful gospels like the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Mary and the gospel of Peter. And so, you can read all about this. If you look up, if you Google Gnostic gospels, uh, Elaine Pagels, P-A-G-E-L-S, has done a lot of stuff about the Gnostic gospels. And and uh, they tell us, those writings tell us a lot about those ancient times, but they tell us very little about actual historical Christianity. But it's the judgment of the New Testament and of universal Christian tradition that Judas was, in fact, a tool of the devil. And yet, you know, there must have been some good in the fellow because, after all, Jesus chose him to be one of the twelve disciples. And uh, though the Lord was long conscious of Judas's weaknesses, uh, He never threw him out. And in, and in fact, uh, He was singled out as somebody who uh, was worthy of handling the group 
uh, bank account. He, he was uh, handling the purse, you know. He was the group treasurer. So perhaps Judas started out as an honest man and had a gift for financial stewardship. So I don't think uh, that uh, Judas began as a traitor, but I think he became one. But that's hard to imagine how that can be because, after all, Judas walked around with Jesus along with the other disciples. They camped out together. They ate together. Uh, they'd all sit around the evening campfire, and they would listen to Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. Um, you know, Judas would have prayed with Jesus and with the other disciples, and uh, Judas heard more of Jesus' sermons than just about anybody because, you know, he walked with Jesus for darn near three years. And he witnessed Jesus' incredible miracles, and, uh, and Judas saw how God the Father supplied all of their needs and so on. And yet, Judas began to turn away from Jesus. Some say Judas actually was a disappointed and disillusioned Jewish nationalist. Uh, that uh, they say that Judas was discouraged, that that disappointed that Jesus did not gather an army. You know, he didn't rally soldiers around him to go after the Romans and throw off Roman shackles and so on. He didn't seem to be restoring uh, the glory of the nation of Israel. Uh, and uh, so, in disgust, then Judas decided to betray his friend. Some say that by betraying him, Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand, that he was trying to push Jesus into action so that he might begin to gather that army around him and actually do something. Well, there are many theories as to why uh, Judas betrayed the Lord, um, but if we listen to Scripture, we are told that greed played a very important role. Judas was greedy for gain. As I say, he must have had, maybe had a gift for money matters, you know, um, maybe he was pretty good at it. They made him the group treasurer but he seems to have abused the gift. And in the end, his greed destroyed him. Judas was too fond of money, and it cost him dearly. He seemed to turn a deaf ear to Jesus' teachings about how such things become very difficult in keeping one out of the kingdom of heaven. So the first indication that there was a problem here occurs in the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter, and, and we read, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a, a, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped His feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of His disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then John adds, 
He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave, it her, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Judas didn't care a whit about poor people. He was a thief, says John. He stole from the purse. Judas was a pilferer. I like that word. I thought I'd throw that in there. I haven't used that word for a long time. He, he was a pilferer, pilfered from the money bag. And then when Caiaphas and the other chief priests were looking for ways to dispose of Jesus, you know, the high priest wanted to get rid of him. They were looking for ways. When in comes Judas, he walks in to one of their meetings and he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him uh, 30 pieces of silver. From then on, says the Scripture, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So greedy was Judas that he was willing to hand over to the authorities probably his best friend. Judas' love for money exceeded whatever love he had for Jesus. So you see, it was greed that was among the sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. Judas was a perfect example of someone overcome by the sin of greed. And so we read in 1 Timothy, those who, do, who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money itself, mind you, is not evil but it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Therefore, it's not wrong to possess money. That's a good thing because we all got it. It's not wrong to invest it prudently, and it is not a sin to be rich. But it is wrong to be overfond of it, to hoard it, to become like a miser, and to allow it to preoccupy our thoughts and our very lives. So that the God, money, casts or can cast a very powerful spell over people. In fact, there's a great pull. There was the pull of greed is very prevalent in our culture, right? In our society today. It's all about making a buck. Some of you may remember the movie Wall Street. I think it was like 1987 or something like that, where the corporate raider uh, played by Michael Douglas memorably glorifies greed in a meeting with, that he has with shareholders, and so he's talking to them. And this corporate 
a raider says, I'm not a destroyer of companies. I'm a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. You see, it's all about the survival of the fittest. And who are the fittest? People who have money. It's greed that causes you, that, that enables you to survive in this doggy dog world of ours. Greed is good. Man, can't you just hear the devil speaking behind Michael Douglas's shoulders? Mahatma Gandhi once said to a group of his fellow Indians, he says, you will understand your Western friends much better if you remember that no matter what they say in creed or in church, money is their real God. And when money, we allow money to become our God, destruction inevitably follows in its wake. It has a way of slowly twisting our values and our priorities so we lose a sense of what is truly important in life. Judas put money before people, his own gain ahead of Jesus. He was ready to sacrifice an innocent life, even his friend, to get what he wanted. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave in those days, equivalent to about $20 in today's money. Judas sold out Jesus for 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And I can't help but think of the contrast between the generosity of Mary, who took a pint of very expensive oil and poured it over Jesus' feet, anointing Him, as in essence, for His burial. But she was giving Jesus an extravagant gift given to Him out of incredible love because she was so touched by His priceless grace and His love. She felt loved. She gave Him all that she had, in a sense, in that, that wonderful gift of perfume. So contrast that, the generosity of Mary with the stinginess of Judas, who says, you know, you could have sold that, that perfume and uh, you could have given it to the poor. You know, he thought he was being so noble. He was sounding so noble. <laughs> but as John says, he didn't care about the poor. The guy was a thief, after all. So we have Judas selling out the Lord of life, for 20 bucks. That, Jesus' life wasn't worth more than that to him. You know, is that all Jesus meant, really? So, when then we think about the life of Jesus, I mean, how much is, is, is Jesus worth to us? I mean, what he, who He is and what He gives is priceless. Someone wrote this, I don't know where, exactly where I found it, but it resonated with me, and maybe you've heard something similar to this, but I, I, I like uh, what this one writer has put down. With regard to the, the life of Jesus, he possessed neither, neither wealth nor influence. 
His relatives were inconspicuous, and he had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors of the law. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the billows as if pavements, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet not one library could hold all the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers. He was never trained in psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all psychiatrists put together. Each week, multitudes wend their way to pay homage to him and to receive knowledge of him, the names of past proud statesmen have come and gone, but his name abounds more and more. Two thousand years have passed since he lived on earth, yet he still lives. The grave could not hold him. Adored by saints and feared by devils, we are either going to be forever with him or forever without him. This is the life that Judas sold out for 20 bucks. You see, he was so blinded by his love of money and so warped that uh, he just lost all perspective on what was valuable and what was true, what was good. So the, the question for you and for me today, you know, is, the, is an uncomfortable question which we have to ask, and, and what we do here on Sundays is we do face ourselves in our nature honestly here. Um, the question is this, does our own preoccupation with money cause us to betray the Lord and the values that He thinks are important? Do we put money before God? Do we put money before people? Are we so preoccupied with getting and acquiring and building up assets that we don't have time for, a fam for family or for serving others? Because when people, I, I think I mentioned this before, but when people are on their deathbed and they're sharing their last thoughts and their regrets, you know, people are not going to say, I wish that I had more money. I wish that I had that house with a view with the four-car garage. Or I wish I'd spent more time at the office. No, of course, people are going to say, you know, instead of trying to secure my own future by piling things up and worrying about all these money issues, if I only spent that same amount of time, that kind of energy, smelling the roses, being with the people I love the most, my family and my friends, and making a difference in this life by serving others in need. But you see, you know, this ambition, everything in our culture encourages us 
to you know, be at the top and, and get more money and get more money so that then you can be secure and you can have a future and so on. You know, it's, it's way out of perspective. Greed is good. The love of money can so twist our values and our, and our priorities that we betray Jesus by making it a God. We can put money before people, and we hoard it rather than exercising good stewardship and sharing it with those who need it, who need to be helped, who need to be served. It was greed that skewed Judas's values. And, you know, once Judas opened the door to the sin of greed, when he, when he opened the door to his heart and allowed that spirit, that devilish spirit to come inside of him, it took hold of him. It took possession of him. And that's what a God does, by the way. You know, it takes possession of you. So that it becomes the most important thing in life. And greed always wants more. It's the desire. Greed is the desire to acquire gone haywire. And it doesn't let go until it destroys lives. There is an old Russian folktale about a peasant couple who after each evening meal would express the wish, if only we had enough land, then we would be happy. And as the story progresses, the couple come into a little bit more land, but still after every meal, they would express the wish, if only we had more land, then we would be happy. But in time, they acquired a great deal of land, and they actually became very wealthy landowners. Then one day, a neighbor who had more land than they uh, came to share their table. And when the meal ended with the usual wish, the neighbor asked, well, how much land is enough? And the peasant, now a gentleman, said that it seemed to him that the land he could walk around in a single day would be enough. And so the neighbor kind of challenged him and told him that he could, wa- he could walk his land and have all that his feet touched provided he made a full circle. So the man next day, so the man set out at dawn and walked and jogged all day, always trying to widen his circle to gain a little more land. And come sunset, he could see his wife and his neighbor at the end point of his journey. But instead of going home and heading straight for them, he decided to make one more circle to encompass the magnificent home owned by his neighbor. And just as the sun set, he reached his wife's arms. Victorious, he laughed and then died. His overworked heart had failed him. He was buried the next day. And once again, the neighbor asked how much land was enough. And then he answered his own question. Why? That's easy. No one needs more than a plot, three feet by six. Our friend finally has enough land. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? (laughs) In the end, greed destroyed Judas. 
And when Judas realized the enormity of the evil that he had done, you know, he went back to the chief priests. He had a spirit of repentance, or he was repenting, thinking that he was repenting of what he had done and wanted to give the money back. And, and he, you know, he throws the, throws the silver at the chief priests and says, I betrayed innocent blood. And, and then what does Judas do? But he leaves weeping and then ends up hanging himself. Talk about wandering away from the faith and piercing yourself with many griefs. So, beware of the sin of greed. Uh, you know, it's one of the seven deadly sins. Uh, we can succumb to it if we're not careful. Again, as Timothy puts it, these are wise words, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, like Judas, and pierced their hearts with many pangs. So beware, that same sin that was in Judas is also lurking in you and in me. When Jesus had a table in the upper room, you know, shortly before he died, uh, they had eaten, and uh, Jesus then said to his disciples, asked the disciples, that, or said to them that, they, that one of them would betray him. And Judas, who was sitting next to Jesus, said, Lord, is it I? So perhaps we should ask ourselves that question. Is it I? Do I betray you with my money and with my attitude toward things? Do I allow my greed to twist my values and to enslave me so as to lead me down the path of ruin? Is that greed in me? Is it I, Lord? Let's pray. Lord, forgive our preoccupation with money and possessions. Help us put first things first in life, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to find our ultimate security in you and not in our bank account. Help us root out the greed in our lives and to be more content with what we have. Teach us to open our hands that we might share with those less fortunate than ourselves. Amen. You know, the, the best way to overcome the sin of greed uh, is certainly to pray for the power of Christ to help you in that to give you eyes to see what's most important in life. Only by the power of Christ can we change from the inside out. Otherwise, we can be pretty helpless. But it also helps to remember that we are already blessed, and so we should uh, appreciate what we already have. Instead of longing for what we don't have, we have plenty. I mean, we are an affluent bunch. I know we are. And then if you really want to break the, the, the hold of greed on your life, you need to learn to give it away. And it may be hurtful at first if you're not used to giving generously to things that matter. It may hurt a little bit, but the more we're able to do that, uh, the better we feel about ourselves and the more we break the stronghold of greed in us. I mean, even secular uh, financial advisors talk about the importance of giving money away because it helps you. Uh, it if nothing else, it helps you. You get a better perspective on life.
you realize that money isn't everything. Money used appropriately can truly make a difference in people's lives. And so for those of us who have money, let's learn to use it wisely so that lives are touched in positive ways. We have to learn to give.